we've got work to do, so uh, I'm sorry to put an end to your meeting and greeting time, but uh, there's some things I think God wants to say to us this morning, and I want to make sure we hear them. So uh, I want to, uh, before we really get rolling, uh, reiterate what uh, Kelly and, and Larry have already mentioned this morning, and that is that uh, we're going to be thinking about the resurrection tonight, and that is important specifically because Easter is just next week. Uh, we are just right there on the cusp, and uh, we are viewing this as an opportunity, really, to invite some people to worship with us, maybe that don't worship anywhere else all year long, save Easter Sunday. Um, there'll be a lot of people looking for a place uh, to sing praises to God, to hear the story of the resurrection told, and we want to make sure and give them that opportunity, Right? Right? Okay. Uh, we have been uh, starting things with this quote. Uh, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Either you are all in committed to the mission and the message of the cross, or you're just pretending. It's interesting. I had some uh, uh, conversation this week with Joy Morgan and with uh, her son Grant. If, if you remember, Joy had a, a whole row full back here uh, last week. Seven, was it, Joy? Seven uh, boys, all boys, all her grandkids. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, three of her grandkids uh, aren't from this country, and, and English is not their first language. And um, I got a message from Grant this week that, that said, Mulican, uh, who's the, the newest uh, member of the family, uh, Mulican uh, was trying to tell us about your sermon this morning, but it, there was something he wasn't quite sure of. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, did you say something along the lines of every Christian is either a missionary or a pastor? And uh, I said, no, an imposter, but that's close to pastor, right? Uh, and Mulican, uh, I'm proud he was paying attention, honestly. honestly. I don't care if he, if he missed it or not. I'm, I'm proud that he was dialed in. Uh, we have been... Uh, uh, using the same verse uh, for the last three or four weeks now to, to kind of get us started. And we've been looking at, at a text out of Second Corinthians, really starting in the middle of chapter 3 and continuing on through chapter 5. But in chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then I've asked you this question. How many of us here have received mercy from God? And then I've made this statement. If you've received mercy from God, you've also received ministry. Because that's how it works. If you have been a recipient of God's goodness, His grace, His mercy, then He also has given you a job to do. A task to complete. And that's what we've been talking about, Christian ministry in the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm a minister. I, I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Uh, but so are you. That may be easy to forget. And I, I know we fall into the trap sometimes of thinking, well, Kyle's standing up there and, and we're sitting down here and so we're different in some way. But the reality is, if we have received mercy from God, we've also received ministry from God. I don't care where you're sitting, where you're standing. You're just as much on the hook for this thing as I am. All right? 
the sooner we come to grips with that, the sooner we realize that, the better chance this world we're living in has to find the salvation of its soul. Again, for the last three or four weeks now, we have talked about uh, Christian ministry in the book of Second Corinthians, and we've talked about the job description, and we've talked about the job expectation. This morning we're going to talk about the benefit package. And then maybe most importantly, I want us to understand that these things belong to us. Not to the Apostle Paul. Not to, uh, to men that call themselves ministers. But to all of us who have received mercy from God. These things are ours. So let's talk about the job description. Just real quick. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we've been called to do, right? Yes? Yes. Okay. In last uh, two weeks, well, no, just last week, we talked about the job expectation. I don't know how much of this you remember. Uh, but this was kind of the idea. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Our job, brothers and sisters in Christ, the expectation as we do what we do as ambassadors for Christ is that we carry around the death of Jesus Christ in us. We're hard-pressed. We're perplexed. We're crushed. All for Jesus in hopes that people are able to see his life in us and through us. We are jars of clay. Remember that talk? Being broken open to reveal the treasure of God inside. This morning we're going to talk about the benefit package. Uh, we started uh, in an introduction with this chapter 3, verse 18, which is, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. There's a benefit, if I've ever heard one, that we're being transformed into the image of God himself. But that's really not where we're going to settle this morning. Instead, we're going to look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And I'm going to ask you to get a Bible and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 21 to us this morning. Talking about the benefit package that comes with Christian ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 11 and work our way through the end of the chapter in verse 21. And then I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God being read. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have a seat. There's a, a word that uh, I hope you caught on to uh, as I was reading that text to you um, because you're going to hear it a lot this morning. And that word is compel. Okay? Um, why do we participate in the ministry of reconciliation? Why do we serve as ambassadors for Christ? We don't do what we do out of the goodness of our hearts, do we? I don't. I, I hate to break it to you. I'm sorry if I'm shattering your image of what kind of man Kyle Wright is. But I'm banking on a reward for my faith. There's a, there's a goal to my faith. And that is eventually that I'll get to spend an eternity with God and His Son Jesus Christ. That's in a lot of ways what keeps me living the life that God has called me to live. Am I alone in this? You understand what I'm talking about? I am compelled to do what I do. Now, let's let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean to be compelled? What is what is the definition of that word compel? Um, the dictionary says, okay, dictionary says to force or to drive, especially to a course of action. Genius just is something you have to do, something you don't have a choice in the matter. If you are compelled, you are being influenced in some way to do uh, something for someone, right? So what is it that compels us? I want you to look at three or four verses here that I just read to you, and we're going to kind of work our way backwards. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You must not have heard that because that surely would elicit a response. I'm serious, folks. God took His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, who was perfection personified, and made Him what? Sin. Why? So that you and I could become the righteousness of of God. Yeah, amen. That's the best news you're going to hear all day. That's the best news you're ever going to hear in this life. That something magical happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. In that moment where Jesus was hanging between life and death, all the sins of mankind were heaped upon his shoulders. And the perfection that was his by right was taken from him and placed on us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
When God looks at us this morning, what does He see? Not our righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. I don't think we get that. I really don't. I think still, most of the time, we rely on our own performance to justify ourselves before God. I really think, well, if I've been good enough, then I'll have a home in heaven. If I check all the boxes, then I can be declared righteous. Maybe just by the skin of my teeth, but I'm going to be there. That's not the way it works. There's more theology in this one verse than is rattled around in my mind at any given time. God made Him who had no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that in Him, we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. When God looks down out of His heaven at me, He doesn't see the sin I commit. He doesn't uh, see me be short with my wife or harsh with my children. He sees the perfection of His one and only Son because I'm banking on the fact that because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, I have righteousness from God. It's not the only benefit. Verse 18, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We focused really... uh, in these last few sermons, on that ministry of reconciliation. But the ministry of reconciliation starts with what? With you and I being reconciled to God through Christ. I don't know if you remember, this was a couple of weeks ago, but we talked about the the reality is there is no neutrality in humanity. Either we are for God or we're against God. Either we're reconciled to God or we are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. But because Jesus stepped in and took our sin, you and I have been reconciled to God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I don't know how often we feel that. But it ought to be a daily occurrence. We sing a song sometimes. It's it's from uh, Solomon's Lamentation that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. How often? You woke up to new mercy from God. You and I, if we have been reconciled to God through Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection, and our response to it, we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. And finally, look at verse 14. That's where we're going to settle this morning. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We can start in verse 21. We can talk about verse 18. We can talk about being made new in verse 17. But it all boils down to the reason we are compelled to, to partake in the ministry of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of Christ, is why? One died for all, which was evidence of Christ's love. It all comes back to love, doesn't it? Christ's love 
compels us, forces us, drives us, motivates us, influences us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to this just real quickly. You and I, we, have been declared righteous by God. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. We have become new creations in Christ. We we are recipients of the love of Christ. And that's what compels us. Once we realize that, we, we ought to be willing to do whatever it is that we feel like God is asking us to do. Shouldn't we? I, I'll never forget. We we hadn't lived in Cushing very long. And uh, when we moved here, well, in fact, we moved here in November of 2004. In October of 2004, a little woman named Reese Judd was baptized into Christ. Anybody remember Reese? Uh, Larry, I think, baptized her, and uh, according to Larry, uh, that was some of the coldest water he'd ever baptized anyone in. Um, he said Reese took a shock when she stepped into the water, and I think he told her that was the Holy Spirit getting hold of her right there. Uh, but Reese, uh, just one of the sweetest little old women you'd ever meet, she's gone to be with the Lord now. Um, but her son, Willard, in fact, my first Sunday at Tri-County was Willard's first Sunday at Tri-County. He'd just gotten out of jail and uh, was determined to make a change in his life. And he was coming to worship. uh wasn't long before we sat down and, and opened up the Word of God together. And, and I shared with him the gospel. And um, Willard was eventually baptized into Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but I'll, I'll never forget that day in my office, right over here in this in this building, um, getting the feeling that it didn't really matter what I told Willard he needed to do to respond to the gospel. It didn't really matter what I showed him in Scripture. He was going to do it. I mean, it was it was just a a, a beautiful moment. I could have told Willard to go out here on the corner and stand on his head and bark like a dog because that's what God wanted him to do. And guess what? He'd have been barking. And I hope that's that's how all of us came to Christ. Once we realized what had been done for us, we were ready and willing to do whatever was asked of us. What is it we're being compelled to do? Look again at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus didn't, didn't die on the cross just because he didn't die for nothing he died for us in hopes that we would do what there you go Jesus died to himself in hopes that we would die to ourselves in hopes that we would carry on perpetuate his ministry here on earth Christ's love compels us pushing pulling, whatever it has to do to get us to die to ourselves so that we can live for Him. Does that make sense? 
I, I chose this picture very intentionally. I want to tell you why. Um, I don't think um, I don't think it's enough for me to be afraid of hell. I really don't. I, I don't think fear of hell will motivate me to live the life that God has called me to live. Now it does at certain points. And I'll tell you, when I started um, putting things together in Christianity as, as a very at a very young age, that was my sole motivator. I don't want to burn in hell. I felt the push away from hell. It wasn't later, it wasn't until later in my life that I felt the pull of heaven. I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm here before you this morning. I'm your brother in Christ, not just because I'm afraid of going to hell, but because I genuinely want to make God happy today. It, it takes both a push and a pull, I believe. There are times that Christ's love compels me by saying, you don't want what you know is waiting in judgment. There are other times that Christ's love compels me by saying, come on, man, we can do this together. We've got good work to do. The point is that Christ's love compels. That's right. I have a friend, uh, a lot of you have met him, Matt Mills, who uh, was reading through the book of John for, I think he read John every month for a year, and uh, he walked away from that study calling the Holy Spirit the great nudger. The Holy Spirit would just push him along, you know, letting him know what needed to be done next. And, and so really, here's what I want us to talk about for a minute, okay? What if we're not being compelled? This is going to maybe sound a little bit harsh, um, but there are really only two reasons not to be compelled. Either we don't understand how much Christ loves us, or we don't appreciate it. Ignorant or ungrateful, which is it? sincerely hope that we understand to the best of our ability to understand how much we are loved by God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. But if not, I want to illustrate it for you this morning. Bennett? Thorns on his head, spears side. Yet it was a heartache that made him cry. He gave his life so you understand. Is there any way you could say no to this man? If Christ himself were standing here, 
face full of glory and eyes full of tears. Behold, I was lost with his nail put in your hand. Is there any way you could say no to this man? love compels us to die to ourselves in hopes that the world around us will see his life in us. Christ's love compels us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Are you going to tell him no? One week one week till Easter. One week to uh, offer an invitation to a worship service. To a relationship with God. 
to a retelling of the world's greatest miracle. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried in a tomb, rose from the dead three days later. You going to tell him no? I ask that you bow your heads and pray with me. I don't know why it's so easy, God, to lose sight of what we've been called to be and to do. I know I'm pretty quick uh, when things don't go my way to reach out to you asking for help. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense that... Um, When you call down out of your heaven, whom shall I send? Who will go? I shouldn't have my arm in the air. I want mercy, but I don't always accept ministry. I want to be reconciled to you through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, but there are times I don't want anything to do with the message of, or the ministry of reconciliation. This morning, though, God, I am compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we all feel that. We understand, um, at, at least to the extent that our minds can understand, just how much we have been loved. And hopefully we understand, God, that that you didn't compel us, that the, the love of your son Jesus Christ didn't compel us to sit in comfortable chairs and to feel good about our eternities. It's not what you were after. You want the world to know, to accept that your son is evidence of your love for all of us. And I know it's a big world, God, and I know there are lots of places uh, that we will never visit. But I also know there are lots of people in, in the town of Cushing, in Yale, in Drumride, in Agra, in, in the surrounding communities, Ripley. I know there are people that don't know Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that the love of your Son has its desired goal, that it motivates us, that it influences us, that it compels us. To carry around in ourselves the death of Jesus Christ in hopes that his life may be revealed. God, I pray uh, for the seekers in this community. I pray for those who uh, may not 
step foot into a church building but once a year for Easter. And I pray that you lead them our way. I pray, God, that um, the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the, the words that are shared from your word next week, if you give us next week, um, I pray that they reflect the glory of the resurrection. And I pray, God, that, that because we are committed here as a church family to loving you and to loving people, that this community sees uh, or is reminded of the fact that it might have a need that a church family can meet. You love us so much. And we love you too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.